Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, and thank you for joining me today on Behavior Babes Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to welcome David Warner. David, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. So before we get started and jump into all this amazing advocacy and the topics we're going to talk about today, why don't we have you begin with an introduction of who you are for our listeners? Yeah, I'm a dad. Um, I have two boys. My 11-year-old's autistic. And um, so we've been doing some advocacy over the past few years. And uh, so very uh, fun stuff that we've been involved in. And um, uh, me and Amanda, actually, we met at the Autism Law Summit a few years ago. So very uh, cool experience if you've never been there before. David, I think, um, yes, that's the first time we got to meet in person. And I think what was so interesting to me is just the way the world works and how social media is a double-edged sword. But in in this case, it worked really well. My sister, actually, um, who probably like many people, uh, your family doesn't exactly know what you do every day, but knew maybe something to do with autism uh, or autism services. And she lives in the same town as you, David, as you know, or the same city. And she shared an article about your advocacy, or she shared an article about, um, you know, you and your family. And I just clicked on it. I was like, or she tagged me in it. And I was like, oh, what is this? And I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. Did I reach out to you or did we, I don't, I don't remember how it went from there, but I was like, I want to talk to this guy. I seen that you did some kind of share, I think. And um, I looked at the, I was looking at the shares to see who was talking about it. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, who is behavior, babe? Um, <laughs> so that was my first thought. I was like, what is that? Um, but then um, I think that, I don't know if I reached out to you or you, you to me, but we uh, began talking and, and found out that there was this whole other world of, uh, of uh, advocacy for, for our kids. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that is so difficult, obviously there's a lot of challenges and difficulties for everybody to navigate through, but is the feeling of being alone and the feeling of of things being um, maybe not seen or not not equitable. Can you share with us or do you mind sharing what your journey has been with autism for your family? Yeah, so um, Zach got a diagnosis at a very young age and um, we... um, Begin on that journey. I mean, it's just like everybody else. It's kind of like being at a dark room, putting your hands, you know, out until you find where you where you need to be at. So um, that led us down some different paths, and um, began to uh, see some needs for um, different things within the community, and began advocating and organizing people to to draw to see that change. And um, and so that leads us, uh, you know, to to today, and it just continues to build from there. When you were, um, as a family, trying to navigate through supports, services, resources, um, where did you get that guidance from for your family? Did it come from your medical professionals, from your educational professionals, other families, or, or were you yeah. just sticking those hands out in the dark room? <laughs> yeah, so I started off by, honestly, I think, you know, you get some advice from your from your doctor. Well, that's where you, most of it is. But fortunately, you wait a lot of places. Here, we had a year waiting list just to get the diagnosis, and so that left us with a lot of time. So you begin googling and looking things. 
found out some of it was true and some of it wasn't once we went went to the doctor and um so it's important to listen to them because they they have a little bit more knowledge and experience with 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 autism um but it was cool to uh, get to have those resources. We we made connections with people from different organizations and things as well that they were able to put us right in contact with when we first got that diagnosis. And I don't think we mentioned for any of the listeners uh, specifically, but you're in the state of South Carolina, um, which is where you where you reside and raise your family now. Were you uh, a family that I, I know that you have a relationship now with behavior analysis? I think that's a big part of um, our interactions and discussions. And I appreciate David, you have you know, done a lot now, I would say formalized advocacy, even including presenting at the Cal ABBA panel presentation with parent and self-advocate perspectives on what these services are like. When, when did you get that recommendation or, or what, did, what did ABA mean to you when you first heard about it? I, I guess I'm just curious, I'm curious from a parent's perspective. <laughs> You know, when I first heard about it, of course, I they, they, they immediately said, you're going to have to wait on another waiting list. And I was like, oh, really, another waiting list? Um, but, um, you know, you don't really, you have a very light understanding of what it is. Um, but if you have the right people in your life that understand it, um, they explain how incredible it, and what it does to to really set your child forth towards independence. And, and, uh, and so you just sort of, if you, if you believe that person, obviously, and those people in your life, then uh, you, you push for it. And and that's what we did. And, and that has made an incredible change in his life. And um, I can tell you, it wasn't this last year, it was, he's 11 years old now. Uh, It was two years ago, I believe. Um, we gave him his full 40 hours prescribed in the summer and he went from being nonverbal to speaking full sentences by the end of the summer. And obviously that's verbal parts, just a piece of it, but, um, but it, it was the first father's day that summer that he was able to say happy father's day to me. So, which was pretty important, pretty incredible. I can't even imagine what that must feel like. And um, you mentioned 40 hours. So an intensity of services, he wasn't able to access that prior. Is that correct? Yeah, not before. And um, so we uh, took advantage of it was during the virus time. And so they were careful and 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 we were OK with it. So something we all agreed to. And um, and we did take advantage of of taking the 40 hours because a lot of people weren't taking the services because of, of it. So you make a really good point with the, the COVID-19 pandemic. It resulted in schools across the nation being shut down. Um, in many places, uh, medical services and ABA that are funded through insurance are definitely uh, meet that definition and they continued in many places. Although um, I'm no way trying to judge anybody's decision, it was a difficult time and none of us knew what to navigate or how to navigate through that. It did present an opportunity where, um, you know, we don't necessarily have to take our child out of school or it's not only on the afternoons or weekends are we available or um, maybe even some of the staffing became more available since some of the families were not comfortable utilizing those sort of services. Well, that's a unique situation and something I don't know that we definitely could have predicted, right. but what an interesting uh, uh, scenario that that gave, that gave you and your family and your son and your son and his treatment team, the opportunity to see what intensive services without disruption, uh, although there might have been some delay, what it can do. Right what it can do for him. Um, 
we were just talking about some of the videos that you upload and that you share with him online. And um, one of, I think the first ones I recall of hearing his voice was um, him ordering off of a, of a menu um, uh, at a restaurant. Do you know what video you're Yes, I do. Um, we're s- sitting at the table and um, we began to talk about what we were going to do and he did it. It was so amazing to me to see him independently, you know, picking off of a few choices on a menu and, and requesting it to somebody he doesn't have normal interactions with every day. Um, at a restaurant and uh so pretty incredible moment for us and uh and and it really makes you you know even more like grateful for aba and the services that he's able to to get so i think i think i remember him like ordering a shake or something it was like once he could say what he wanted i saw this like side eye to you like i'm i'm just gonna say the other words maybe this lady will bring it like i was like yeah we actually um so i didn't uh i told i told them both my my other child as well and i said look i said we're not doing shakes we're just doing you know the basic meal and he said i couldn't say no i was like everybody gets a shake Yep. Yep. Okay. I thought I was reading that correctly in that video. That's so funny. You mentioned in your introduction that we met at the fir- for the first time at the Autism Law Summit. And for anyone who's listening to every single episode, they've probably heard that before, but there's quite an amount of episodes now. So um, I'm not certain or assuming that everyone has. Um, do you mind sharing from your perspective what the Law Summit is or what value it brings, especially to parents? Yeah, so I think that for me, it it provides maybe a different perspective, I guess, sort of, because I am a parent. Um, You know, as a parent, you're seeing all these things, services and things sort of take place, but you don't really know the background of how it got to where it is. And um, you don't even know the work that's been put in place to to do that. You just, you know, it's there. So as you just wake up and you know, bill your insurance and go to ABA or whatever. But what was incredible for me was to see that there were these people that were fighting before my child was even diagnosed. There were people that were fighting on behalf of our family before they even knew that we would even have the diagnosis in our hands. And so to me, it was, it, that was a huge piece of it, but it was also having that group of people empowered around you that like, if I needed something or if I had a question or, um, you know, something happened or whatever, we could reach out to, to those people and, and, and people that we would never have access to in some cases. So I, I wouldn't have known any of these people if it wasn't for the law summit. I appreciate you saying people we wouldn't have access to or even maybe interact with. Um, the law summit has become this place of doers. And um, as you mentioned, it's it's really, it, it started by parents. It was started by parents. And so it should still remain and be valuable for parents um, and self-advocates. But yeah, Lori and, and Dan Unum and, and other a uh, handful of other individuals, Gina Green and Eric Larson, um, who are, you know, uh, providers and researchers got together and started saying, like, how do we get this covered? How do we get this funded by insurance? And then in each state, at least from my, my vantage point, sort of started gathering um, individuals who said, like, we have a child or we need this or we want to get this done. And they would be almost like tentacles of this original core piece. And so every year it's been organized and people come together. And I think it was the first year was like 10 people and they ordered 
pizza and they passed around their hat. They said, I, I don't think I, I didn't start going until 2014, but the people who are there, you have uh, democratic uh, individuals, Republican, you have a bipartisan, uh, it's a bipartisan issue. You have um, payers now who come, uh, the health funders who are, you know, we're, they're denying services or we feel they're making it difficult, but are they and what's their perspective and what information do they need? And really so much of it is about having the conversations and connecting the people. Um, I think that that's the value for people coming there, whether you're a provider, a parent, a payer, an attorney. For me though, David, what it really is that you hit right on the nail on the head is it's just a group of other people who get it. They get it. They get what you go through. They, I'm a provider. You're a parent. We have a different um, life here. We have different interactions and, and relationship with services and with autism. The community, at the same time, we walk in that room and we understand and we, we empathize and we value each other. And I sometimes think about it as like it's our annual group hug um, of, of people who are like, yeah, I'm willing to also bust my ass to get this done. Um, and for children who, who haven't been born yet, for individuals who aren't diagnosed yet. And, you know, just to, just to speak out to the listeners here for a second, obviously I'm a big proponent and it sounds, and I know you are, of, of having high quality ABA services and accessing them. At the same time, th these insurance mandates were about making it an option, about making it available. Families still have the choice to choose what services that they wish to pursue for their children, but... Uh, before 2019 in the state of Wyoming, you didn't have insurance. So it's only been uh, just before the pandemic that all 50 states cover autism insurance or ABA services and occupational and speech therapy as well. So you think about it that way and you're like, oh, what? Yeah, I wake up, I go, I, I get my son there. It's unfortunate, of course, these wait lists. Uh, and then we bill our insurance. And that's just a sentence some of us never, never knew if we'd see uh, come to fruition. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for giving that perspective and sharing this. So one of uh, our biggest uh, friends and champions and allies and advocates that we've met through the Autism Law Summit is Feta Amalidi. And these listeners should know, and if they don't, I'm going to put her in every episode. So Feta Amalidi, <laughs> uh, you know, powerhouse, badass, past insurance, California with a team of other parents, uh, really was a force, is a force to be reckoned with. And unfortunately, her and her son died in the house fire in 2020. Um, but David, something that's so inspirational to me is the connection that you like continue to have, I think, with Feta. Um, and when you share how she uh, guides and inspires some of your advocacy, um, I know you've shared that with me before. Would you mind speaking to that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I knew there was something different about Feta whenever I first met her and I was, um, inspired because I seen somebody who would, had so much fire, you know, as far as advocacy. Um, but one of the things, um, ever since she's passed, I have, um, and I, and I, and I watched her videos anyways, but there's a lot of YouTube, you could search her name online on YouTube and find a dozens of videos of, of her and so whenever I go and speak somewhere um, about insurance or whatever I typically go and watch one of her videos first and so um you know it's just um I think it's the encouragement and it's like it's almost like I can hear her saying something really positive 
to to you like home and that sounds kind of weird to say that but like you know you hear what it looks like like this is the level that i want to be at um you know as far as advocacy goes and i think that's a, a good way to to measure because i think she was incredible and yet you know we all have a different perception of ourselves um, she would often say, you know, I, I don't, I have a high school diploma. I'm, I don't have a college degree. I'm not, you know, affluent. I don't have all these things. I am a mom and I care deeply about my children. And that actually was enough, more than enough. Um, and, and you're right. She's incredibly inspirational and it's a little bit bizarre and ironic that we would use the word like fire to describe her. And that's also how, what ended their life. But um, as a, as a um, Arab woman and with her, her faith and so forth, um, I come to understand that fire is actually um, a very symbolic, almost um, viewed as an honor in a way, um, although it's a tragedy for us. Well, David, you talked about, you know, advocating. I mentioned your Calaba presentation. I know you've done stuff with uh, the local NAACP chapter. You will talk to anybody who wants to listen. You'll talk to anyone who's willing to stand next to you while you're talking, amen to that. Um, but then you've really taken it, in my mind, you're just continuing and you're taking it for you to the next level. And you recently uh, ran for an office or um, in, in your community. Let's talk about that. That is that I'm just so impressed as if I wasn't already. But I'd love to hear more about about how you decided to do that. And how did you learn um, how to do what you did? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I have no experience in politics. <laughs> so, um, um, you know, I watched things online and did some research before I jumped into it but um, I just asked myself what is it that's next to to help build this world that you know we want to see better for our, for our children and so um, I did some research I, I looked at the cost of what it was going to cost to file and um, sort of began to look at what district I was in and, and what um, you know what I would the, the area and the people within that area and what demographics would be there and I decided to just jump in and um, with no hesitation, really, which, um, you know, it puts you through a lot because you, you it, there's a lot of criticism that goes along with uh, being in politics. And um, and I learned that, um, really did learn that part of it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that uh, I just realized it was the next best thing that I could do. And so um, that I, I had the ability to do in front of me. And uh, so I did it. And what position were you, were you running for? I, I'm sorry, I should have said that. Um, I'm running for, I was running for school board. Um, and um, so we have um, 11 districts in our, um, in our district. And so I was in the 10th district. And so one of the largest, we're the third largest uh, district in South Carolina, and my district is the largest as far as span of, of place. It, it goes from the beach all the way up to North Carolina, so it's a pretty big area, and most of it's country, so um, it was interesting being able to go through all of those different areas from the beach to the country. Yeah, oh my gosh, well, I was following along with some of the pictures and watching your family be involved in this as well. And in some discussions we had, 
you were saying like, maybe this is the first time some of the other candidates or um, were out there talking about special education. You really pushed that to be at the forefront for the school board elections and for the, I don't know if they're debates, but the discussions right. that were happening out there. What was your experience with that? Were people really receptive? Was the community reacting to you? Where did you find uh, relationships, I guess? Yeah, so I built a lot of relationships and with with different people in the community that I, I either didn't know or knew very little of. And so that was really cool for me. But what was really awesome is that it really, be, people knew me because of my advocacy work for my son. And so it pushed to the forefront the issue of, uh, providing services and making sure kids with special needs have what they need in, in our school system. And um, so, you know, that was pretty cool. That's awesome. And, you know, not to spoil uh, the spoiler alert for everybody, um, but um, the election uh, has already been held. And uh, tell us what the results were. Yeah, so I received a little over 1,500 votes and my opponent received 2,000. I got nearly half of the votes. I did pretty well. I was, I, honestly, I had to, I have to take back and I, I have to look at it and I could have beat myself up over it, but I thought all of the conversation, I got to, to do some training with some, with a group on, on special education, like from my perspective as a parent. And we were able to really open up that conversation. I think one of the coolest things for me was also the people that I got to rub shoulders with. I got to meet the governor. I got to meet um, all these different people. And, and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on. It doesn't matter. That, that doesn't matter. What matters is, is the, the issues, which then they were speaking about those issues from the podium. And, um, and for the first time with the school board members, they had to look at a parent, a special ed parent in the eyes in front of a crowd of people and actually respond to issues regarding special education. And um, I think that changed the, the whole dynamic of, of, of the election. And I'll be honest, um, you know, I think we sometimes think of special education being this lower number of people within the school but i think a lot of my parents came out for me and i think that's why i got as close as i did that's fantastic and congratulations on um even undertaking the initiative to do to do something you know like at, at that magnitude um i i um struggle sometimes to find you know the time in my day to go get the mail as i'm sure we all have these these things to juggle so it's always just, it's, I think, worth appreciating and recognizing just the amount of effort that that takes. And this is the, this is what I mean when I say parent and parent advocacy. These are people who are doing things not just for their own children or themselves. Of course you are. And of course you're out there fighting for your family, um, but also the unification, the relationships, the conversations that's so incredible and that cannot be underestimated. So I agree with you, David. It's really important to take that step back and appreciate that you got to meet these individuals and they also had to, like you said, engage, think about, maybe they didn't even know some of these topics or issues or, or areas. Maybe it gave them uh, an opportunity to get educated. So we don't always see um, the impact of our actions right away. Um, sometimes we get some indicator, but I think that the, the influence that you have is gonna go beyond what you've already seen. And I think if you don't necessarily believe that coming from me for yourself, think about Theta. Think about Theta, someone who you know we lost in this world two, almost two years ago now. 
And obviously she's still impacting so many individuals, uh, the two of us included. I love it. Well, David, I, again, really appreciate you coming on the show and us connecting. I know in the past, I've asked you to come, you know, speak to um, uh, groups of parents we had out in Hawaii, tell them what's going on, show them what's possible, let them know that they're not alone. And to me, that's so, um, again, talk about that connectivity. You feel alone. You feel like you're on an island when you are, um, you know, not, when you're seeking answers, you don't have the answer to. And when people are sometimes telling you, there's not a problem. Everything's fine. Our schools have been working well. If this is a problem, don't you think somebody else would have brought it to our attention in the past? And it's like, well, maybe they have, maybe they did. Maybe it's different people. Maybe it's a different time. I don't know, but this is what I need. This is what my child needs. And now you have um, a whole different experience of what it's like for him to have received that service without the disruption. I am not a parent, but I can't imagine there's uh, anything quite as special as, as, you know, hearing the words, even if it's like, can I do things I'm not supposed to? And the answer is no, you can't, <laughs> but now you can ask. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, man, there's so many great memories that I had from from doing it. I mean, obviously the interactions and be, the talking to everybody and, and getting them to understand some of the things that, you know, what is an, you know, OC, what's the OCR or what, what's, it, you know, the Office of Civil Rights or are all these different pieces that they didn't have any knowledge of. Um, but I think it was so cool to me, um, the the conversations and, and just hearing them uh, them ask questions, they're, they're interested in, in what's going on. So that was good. The other thing I think that you did incredibly well from my vantage point was, it wasn't about saying that our teachers aren't incredible or our teachers aren't amazing. You're talking about the system and the structure of the special education services, um, because I think you've done a really incredible job of, especially when you have found those magical teachers of saying like, look at how incredible you know, this individual is and imagine what they could be doing to help children if they had resources, support, time, schedule, staffing, whatever it is. Um, so I think that that's very important when people are feeling um, that we're uh, attacking education or special education or, or that's their perception. A lot of times it can get uh, people get really protective and they think, well, I care about education. And it's like, well, yeah, no, I do, too. That's what we're right. talking about. That's the commonality. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is really important to look at the, the individuals within the system and then look at the system. Yeah, and, I told um, I told a lot of parents, I, I have helped other parents along the way. And so I've seen state complaints from different people. Um, I, I know we've had to do that for our children at one point or another. And what I said is the one thing that's a common theme through all of that is that, yes, there might have been a violation, but nine out of 10 times, it is a result, not always, but a lot of times of support not given to the student, but not only that, but to that teacher. And so I, uh, and I, and I, you know where that's special education isn't always the number one topic in a race like this um but what i really told them is when you know they want to think about the ap classes and all these other things and i said when you take the low people that are on the lowest part of of, of consideration people that are considered last and, and oftentimes that is special education um you are lifting up the entire group of people because you're teaching people how to be inclusive and how to include other people and and uh, you know 
and it helps our kids so that they can be a part of society as they grow older. And so that to me was, uh, you know, I think that a part that's sort of missed out sometimes is that we can really see a bigger group of people included when we lift up those that are uh, in special education and normally thought of last in a lot of cases. Couldn't agree with you more on that, David, for sure. I think that it's, um, it's an opportunity for everybody to experience what inclusion is like. I think when students are segregated, separated, or they have to be somewhere else and cannot access these services in the school setting, it's not just a loss for the individual who is being removed. It is a loss for everybody else. And it sends a message that um, this is an othering, this is a separation. And although we have kind of gone backwards, maybe a, a few centuries or decades, and in, in, in my opinion, with some of our political decisions lately, like let's not segregate individuals. And when we talk about equity and equality and justice, it's not just about you know gender equality or racial equality, it's this too. It's making sure that there's inclusivity and I'm preaching to the choir, not just you here, but also to our listeners. That's why they're on the show. Um, but David, before we, again, just want to thank you for being here today. And before we conclude or wrap up, is there any message you want to send? Anything you want to say? Any, any place where anybody could find you or contact information? Anything you want to share? Yeah, no, um, I want to just encourage um, parents, providers, and um everybody within the the world of um, autism especially um, to to consider that idea of running for office I mean it really puts you in a place where you're right in front of people um, where you can impact it I mean there's a lot that goes into it but if I can do it I can guarantee you can um, I guess um, you know I don't really have anything that anybody else doesn't have normally um, so um, but after I did it, I was like did I just do that um, and the first time seeing my name on a ballot of any kind I was like is that my name yeah it is you, 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 that's you um, so that's so but, surreal yeah it is kind of weird because uh, you know you see presidential names you see all these other names and uh, and I've never done anything like that. I didn't even in school, I didn't even run for anything. Um, so, um, but no, I think that's important. I think people need to understand that, that their input is, is valuable to, to the school system and, and everybody brings something different to the table. And so we definitely need to see more parents and educators and, and even ABA professionals. I mean, how incredible would it be to see an ABA professional who could give a different perspective than anybody else could, you know, um, so the, that's pretty much, uh, you know, where, where I would encourage people. <laughs> yeah, just a small, slight thing, run for office. But I think you also showed it's a big deal, but can be, can be doable. It's possible. And I love your message that anybody can do it. Well, I'm going to let um, everybody know that I've recently updated the Behavior Babe website, and I'm recognizing now that there is not a specific advocacy page. So, David, I'm going to be reaching out to you, if you don't mind, maybe pull in some of these resources and information or links even. Uh, we'll, we'll put some links to some of Feta's videos as well, um, so people can see where to get some of that inspiration that you talked about. I'm sure they'll find it as, as infectious as, as the rest of us do. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining the show. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, you can do so by visiting www.behaviorbabe.com. Mm -hmm.